Today, we're going to continue in our series, Seven Words That Can Change Your Life. And the word that we're going to look at today has the power to transform your relationships and has particular relevance in this season for two reasons. If you're like us in St. Louis and schools are shut down and and stores are shut down and you're at home, your proximity to roommates and family members has changed. We have increased contact and with increased contact often follows increased conflict. Secondly, if you were ever tempted to take relationships for granted, we don't anymore. Social distancing has reminded us that we really do need one another, even if those relationships can be difficult at times. Wherever there are relationships, wherever they are, there is conflict. And conflict is never, ever easy. I would venture a bet that if you thought about your closest friends and your family members and you thought about them, they are the ones that you probably have the most conflict with. Being close to people is to have conflict with people. So the goal shouldn't be to avoid conflict. The goal needs to be to move through conflict. So today we're going to look at a word that will cause us to work through conflict, and it might just be the thing that saves your marriage. It might just be the thing that saves your friendship with your roommate or your best friend. It might just be the thing that heals and restores the relationship you have or want to have with your son or daughter, your mother or your father. And this word is hinted at in Matthew 5. Jesus shows us how seriously the relationships in our life and how important it is to God that we address those that we have hurt. And we pick it up, Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says this. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And let's just stop there for a moment because this is an amazing statement that Jesus makes. And now when he, and when he starts off, we, we're okay. We're all nodding our heads in agreement. When he starts off saying, hey, you've heard that if someone murders, they will be judged. And you know what? There, nothing really rises up against that within us. We're, we're okay with that rationale. If someone murders someone, a judgment deserves to come on the heels of that. And so uh, the crowd's probably all nodding along, heads in agreement with Jesus. But then he just makes this very challenging statement. And he puts anger on the same playing field as murder. And everyone who's nodding along in the crowd slowly begins to stop. I mean, is this really true? If this is true, what Jesus is saying, if being angry with your brother or your sister, if insulting someone taking offense towards someone and lashing out and insulting them and calling them a fool, if that is deserving of judgment, then that means I'm deserving of judgment. That means that you're deserving of judgment because who hasn't gotten angry? I mean, who hasn't looked at someone else and just 
and, and thought, man, looked at their worldviews, their, their theological views, their political views, who's looked at their Facebook posts or their Insta stories and just had something rise up within them. And thought, that person is so ridiculous. How can they think that? How can they say that? And we just pass a little bit of judgment. We say, that person is a fool. I mean, who is not guilty of doing that? So we need to pause and ask ourselves this question. I mean, am I really in the same camp as a murderer? What Jesus is doing here is he's revealing the heart behind the law. He is revealing how God's heart, which is perfect, collides with our heart, which is broken. He's revealing that God is concerned about not just the external behavior, but he is concerned about the condition of our heart that leads to the behavior. And then he flips the scenario. So he starts with, hey, if you are angry, dealing with the anger that's in our heart. And then he flips the scenario and he poses a different way. And he says, hey, if you have angered someone, if you have offended someone, and so we're gonna pick it back up in our scripture today on uh, verse 23, Jesus says this. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar, stop worshiping and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What Jesus is saying is if there is any unresolved sin, if there is unresolved offense that you remember that comes to your mind, he wants you to stop and deal with that immediately. If you wanna avoid an emotional, a spiritual, a mental prison that we can build in our hearts as we hold on to things and as we refuse to reconcile, if we want to avoid that, if we wanna avoid judgment, he says, go now and make it right. Well, how do we do that? How do we make it right? Through the power of the word, sorry. The word sorry in its true form is the overflow of a heart that is full of love for another person. It's the feeling of sorrow for the pain and the brokenness and the unreconciliation that has occurred and the divide and the distance that's happened in between relationships. And it's expressing that sorrow to someone else. It's expressing to someone that, that you not only feel sorry, but you are saying that you are sorry. And that word sorry has power to initiate healing and reconciliation in our friendships. Several years ago, God began to reveal some things to my wife uh, that um, were really affecting the relationships. She, he began to show her through, through friends and circumstances that she had some attitudes and some beliefs that were that were negatively affecting the friends in her life. And in the midst of this revelation, he brought a specific relationship, a specific friend back to the forefront of her mind. A friend that she loved where uh, things years back really hadn't ended on good terms. And at the time when that friendship began to crumble, 
she saw it as some, you know, for the most part, just being misunderstood um, for, you know, it not being her fault that she had done really the best that she could with the circumstances she had. But now, in full view of God, showing her some things in her life, she knew that there were things that she could have done differently. She remembered this friend where things had drifted apart and she knew she couldn't leave it how it was. And I remember she was nervous. I remember her telling me, I'm so nervous. I need to reach out to her. I need to talk to her. I need to, I need to say sorry for the things that I did. I need to take responsibility for how I impacted the things that I did and how it impacted our relationship. But I don't know what she's gonna say. I don't know if she'll respond to my invitation. I don't know if she'll even sit down with me. But she knew she had to try. And so she reached out. And the friend responded. And they agreed to meet. And they sat down together in a coffee shop. And as they sat there, my wife began to share with her this person the things that God had done in her heart, the things that God had shown her. She began to apologize for the hurt that she had caused and to say sorry for the things that had gone wrong and her responsibility in it. And as she finished speaking, still not knowing what this person was going to say, her friend just began to cry. And then she began to share back the things that she could have done differently and to apologize and take responsibility for things that she should have done. And the process of reconciliation had begun. I want us, I want you to be equipped with the word sorry. A genuine sorry can be powerful, but an empty sorry can be painful. And we can make a few observations in our text that will help us to understand how and how not to say sorry. The first observation let's make is that Jesus is concerned about our heart. He looks past the outward behavior and he looks at the very motivations that are going on within, inside of us. If you say sorry, but your heart isn't sorrowful, then externally you're doing the right thing, but inwardly you're numb. And this sorry is, is a sorry that no one wants to receive. This is the kind of sorry, this is what this sounds like. When you say sorry and it's not attached to sorrow, it sounds like this. Fine, I'm sorry, okay? Are you satisfied? I'm sorry, but I had a really bad day at work. I'm sorry, but you started it. You did that thing. If you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have done that. I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. I'm not sorry for what I said, but I'm sorry your feelings couldn't handle them. That's what a sorry sounds like when it's not attached to sorrow. It displaces responsibility. It actually excuses our behavior and our words and our actions, and it places the blame on the other person. It's just looking to escape the situation. The second observation we have to see is that Jesus says, go. So you have to take action. It's not just getting your heart in the right place. You, you do have to act. If you feel sorrowful, but you never go 
and express to someone the sorrow that you feel, if you never tell them, I am sorry, then the reconciliation process can never start. They'll never know how you feel if you don't tell them. That divide, that relational uh, gap that's happening because of offense and hurt and anger won't ever be bridged. You have to act, you have to go. There's no power in the word sorry itself. And there's no power in the action if our heart's not in the right place. Where there is power is when our heart aligns with our action and we go and we say the word sorry and there is power because what it initiates, it initiates reconciliation. And the last thing that I want us to see in this text is that what we do is not contingent on what they do. What we do and how we act isn't contingent on what the other person is going to do or how they're gonna respond. Jesus doesn't say go if they're ready to make it right as well. He doesn't say go if they're ready to take responsibility for their portion in this. I mean, rarely ever is there a conflict, is there an offense, is there a sin where one party is 100% guilty and the other party is 100% guilt-free. And that makes it really difficult for us because we are really good at spotting what other people could have done differently. We're really good at seeing the sin in someone else's life, the response that they should have done differently, the thing that they should have said. So we have contingencies all the time and we say things like, hey, I'll make it right if they're ready to make it right. I'll have this conversation if they're ready to have this conversation. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, go and settle it. Go and make it right. There is no if. He wants you to go and own any wrong action, any wrong thought, any wrong word that was hurtful, that tore down, that diminished to get our heart right, and to get our heart right. So what does a genuine apology look like? What does it look like to go to your brother as Jesus instructs? And there's a lot of things that you can say about uh, what it, what's, what's a good apology and what should happen. But I want to just give us four like broad brushstrokes that should be included with each apology. And the first one is this, to take responsibility. A genuine apology takes responsibility. We say, we find the strength to say, I was wrong. Maybe we just need to practice that. Just get that out in the open. It's so hard to say. For, we, our pride wants to hold this down, but we, it's so crucial that we say, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. It's critical we take responsibility for our part in leading the relationship where it is. And it doesn't matter if our part is 90% or 10% of the problem. We, we let that all go. We take responsibility for us. We take responsibility for our actions and for our words. And we say, I am sorry. The second brushstroke I wanna, that should be included is we acknowledge the hurt. I think it's really important that we don't just generalize things. So we don't just go to our friends, or our spouses, or our kids or, or whoever. And we just say, hey, hey, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry, I, re- I really am sorry that I hurt you. No, we need to be specific We need to call, we need to bring that hurt, that sin into the light. So we need to acknowledge it. And that looks like telling someone, hey, listen, I'm really sorry that I lied to you. You asked me if I had that project done 
and I didn't, and I lied to you because I didn't want to look bad, and that was wrong. I'm really, really sorry I disrespected you in front of our friends. I'm really sorry that I was unloving to you and I spoke down to you and I made you feel so small. I'm sorry that I cheated on you. I'm sorry that I broke that vow that I made to you. I'm so sorry. This isn't the kind of father, husband, friend. Co- I does, oh, this is not who I want to be. I'm so sorry. We need to be specific. We need to call the hurt, bring it into the light. We need to make amends. This is number three, make amends. You need to take corrective action so that the hurt stops. So you don't need, when we apologize and we say specifically, we need to tell the person we've offended, hey, this is what I'm gonna do to make this right. Or ask them the question, what can I do to make this right? And it needs to be followed up with faithful action. So if you have a, a lying problem, you need to sit down and you need to address that. You need accountability. You need transparency. You need to let go maybe of some of your privacy that you've held on to so that you can be more transparent. You need to set up that counseling session. You need to get brothers around you to give you accountability when you're stuck in that lustful sin pattern. You need to make amends. It's followed with faithful action. And then lastly, ask for forgiveness. And this is where you lay it at their feet. And this is, not, not a single one of these steps is easy, but they're all so very essential. You ask them to forgive you. You lay it down, you turn it over to them. You ask them if the road of reconciliation can begin. And here's the reality is you don't know what they're gonna say. You don't know if they're gonna accept that, receive what you're gonna say. You don't know if they're gonna, if your words and your confession is gonna fall on a hard heart. But that is where you let that go because that is out of your control. That is out of your control. By confessing your part out of love, by taking responsibility, followed by making amends and asking for a forgiveness, you extend an invitation to be reconciled and for healing to start to take place. Now it's worth mentioning here that our readiness to forgive is not limited by another's readiness to apologize. Scripture addresses both of these topics very clearly. And when we confess and apologize, we are extending an invitation for reconciliation. And when we forgive one another, we are also extending an invitation for reconciliation. We are not imprisoned by the inaction of another. But reconciliation can't happen until both people are ready. So what that means is that if you are hurt by someone, someone owes you an apology, you have the power and the ability in Christ to forgive them and to be released from the bondage that that's bringing you. And vice versa, when we go and apologize, we can, that get this, this gives us the ability to get our heart right and be released from the pain that we have actually created and caused. But it's not until both parties come together that reconciliation can happen. 
Do you have a friendship that needs to be reconciled? Do you want your brother or sister to forgive you for an offense? Do you need your marriage healed? You may be thinking about a pattern of sin that you're stuck in or that you've been stuck in for, for years perhaps and, or maybe you've been in a fight for, with someone for so long that uh, you, you don't know how to get past it. You don't even know what, like, what started it and you just feel stuck. And here's the reality. The reality is you can't do this on your own. This isn't something you go and do in your own strength. No, you may be able to get down the road a little while, you may be able to get to a certain point, but there will be a day and a time that if you haven't reached yet, you will reach it where you can't move past something, where you can't over, overcome an obstacle in your life. You can't break a pattern that you keep falling into and, and, and you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. No one has extended a greater invitation for reconciliation than Jesus he has extended to each and every single one of us an invitation to be reconciled with him. He has forgiven and he didn't withhold his part or make his part contingent on us. Romans 5 says that Jesus shows his love for us. That while we were still sinning, Christ gave his life for us. And what that text tells us is that Jesus died for us while we were still blaming him, while we were still resenting him, while we were still angry at him, while we were still pointing our finger at him, he gave his life for us. He forgave. We didn't apologize, but he forgave. And thereby he extended an invitation to us to be reconciled with him. He didn't allow rejection to define him. He didn't allow the hate to shape him. He didn't allow the, the anger and, and all of the isolation and everyone turning the back be the thing that shaped who he was. Instead, he chose to show love. He chose to show love. He chose to forgive every wrong. He chose to forgive every sin, to forgive every mistake that we have ever committed. And you need to see how Jesus, though he was right, he chose to humble himself. Though he did nothing wrong, he took responsibility. Though no one was apologizing, he invited reconciliation. We need this God. We need Jesus. We need his help to walk this out. We need God to transform our heart, to soften us. We need him to set us free. We need him to help us reconcile the relationships in our life. And so the question really for us is, will you let him? Will you reconcile with him if you haven't reconciled with him? Will you turn to him? Will you acknowledge the sin and the brokenness and the pain and the take responsibility for the decisions that you have made? We don't need another purchase. We don't need another plan. We don't need another spouse. We don't need another avenue. What we need is we need a savior. And his promise to us is that if we do turn to him, he will forgive. He is the only one where we don't have to wonder what the outcome will be when we reconcile. We can have confidence that he forgives and he makes it right. Just imagine though, just imagine the stories of reconciliation if we, as the church, committed to living this way. 
if we said sorry to one another in its truest, most genuine form and begin to extend invitations of reconciliation, if we begin to treat people in ways not that they deserve, but from a place of love and hope followed with faithful action, the world is hungry for hope. The world is hungry for a message that saves and everyone around us is grabbing hold and trying to hold on to things that they think will help them. And what they need, church, is they need us to be the light. They need us to be the salt. They need us to be the city set on a hill, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and pointing towards him to the one who saves, to the one who redeems, and to the one who reconciles, to the one who one day will wipe every tear and right every wrong. When we commit not just to hear these words of Jesus, but to live by them and, and act on them, we can see the darkest situations redeemed and the most hopeless relationships saved. Let's pray together. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you for this amazing invitation to be reconciled with you. Thank you that you have demonstrated what it looks like to lay your life down for another. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make this contingent on our response, but you chose to act out of love. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting today. I pray for those who have relationships that are broken today. I pray for those who, uh, Lord, are feeling isolated and lonely, that you, Holy Spirit, would just come in, even now, in this moment, and begin to encourage begin to heal, begin to make right. God, where we need revelation, would you bring that revelation for us to have eyes to see those who we need to make it right with? Well, we just pray. I pray that you would bless every single person watching this, listening in on this. Pray that you would bless them and be with them. In your name, amen.